the creator gave you an owner's manual to reality, and it said, do these certain things and don't do these certain things, and you totally ignored the manual, and you said, I'm going to do what I want to do, disregard the manual, it's going to go bad for you. Just like, you know, if, if your car calls for five quarts of oil, but you say, man, oil's expensive, and they want that synthetic stuff, one quart of the cheap dollar store stuff, I don't care. Well, you're, you're going to de- self-destruct. You're going to blow your own car up, and it's no one's fault but yours. And in the same way, God has laid out for us clearly his will and his word. And when we go contrary to it, we, in a sense, are destroying ourselves. And God is actually okay with letting you destroy yourself. Now, that sounds harsh, but that's what the Bible calls the passive wrath of God. And welcome to Eternal City Church. Um, We want you... Please, friends, we want you to walk in God's ways, to walk in his wisdom so that you have life. Who wants life in here? I don't want just want life. I want life to the full, like Jesus promised. Come to me and you'll have life, life to the full. So imagine the book of Proverbs and the rest of the 66 books of the Bible being an owner's manual, not just to your life personally, but to reality. 66 books into God's reality. And the gift of God means this. We learn in many scriptures, James 1.17 being one of them, that if we have any kind of wisdom, whether we're Christian or not, it has come from God. However, the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 1.7, is only the beginning of wisdom. So there could be a measure of, Christi- uh, of wisdom given to non-Christians. That's certainly the case. To have true wisdom, to have the deep wisdom, to have the wisdom that is capital W, you must Come to God through Jesus and fear the Lord. To fear means to respect him above all else, to take his word as the highest and weightiest word. All right, let's talk tonight about wisdom for proud people. (laughs) So tonight's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. Last week hurt too. I'm sorry. I'm trying to give you the good because when you turn away from death, and you turn to life, and you run towards life away from death, only life can come. But see, when you're jogging, and then you pick up the pace into a run towards death, what's going to happen? And here's what the New Testament says on, on pride. God opposes the proud, who can finish it, but, but gives grace to the humble. Grace is unearned, undeserved favor, demerited favor. We want that from God. We do not want the opposition of God upon us. And so tonight, I want all of us to think about pride. Inherent in this message's title, Wisdom for Proud People, is this, that we are all proud people. Wisdom for proud people, all of us, myself included. There's not one of us in this room that does not struggle with the sin of pride, which brings upon us the opposition of God. Pride in the negative and destructive, deadly, ugly sense is what we're talking about tonight. That kind of pride. Baker's Encyclopedia of the Bible calls pride this. You ready? Improper and excessive self-esteem. Improper and excessive self-esteem, known as conceit or arrogance. A sin of attitude and of the heart and of the spirit. Excessive or inordinate self-esteem. 
Dictionary.com gives this definition. I think it's helpful. A higher inordinate opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, superiority, whether as cherished in the mind or as displayed in bearing conduct, etc. You have an inordinate view of how important you are to the world, how great you are, how smart you are, how important you are, and how blessed others must be to be in your presence. You have an inordinate view of how great you art. (laughs) No one's laughing. Okay. This hurts already. I didn't mean for it to hurt yet. Let's look at the main text for tonight, the jump off text. One of my favorite in Proverbs, Proverbs 27, 1 and 2. I'll read it first and we'll go through it. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Now, to boast here means this, to speak of deeds, abilities, characteristics, and a manner showing pride or self-satisfaction, often used to describe the basic attitude of the ungodly in the Bible who depend on their own resources rather than on God rather than on God. Do not boast about what? About tomorrow. Now this is important because tomorrow has not come yet. Next week has not come yet. Next month, next year, etc. And this is what the writer of Proverbs is here getting at. He is saying, do not think to yourself, I control tomorrow. I control next week. I control next year. I am at the wheel of my own life, is really what this means. Now, the Hebrew word boast here has a very specific meaning. Okay, I gave you the Encyclopedia Baker's Encyclopedia definition, but this word in Hebrew means this. Listen, you ready? To flash, to radiate, or to shine. Now, hip-hop knows all about this, doesn't it? You, you, you in the culture know, because we say things like, you trying to steal my shine? Let me shine. Haters want to stop my shining. And, and on and on I could go. Okay? I, I was in that world. I wanted to shine. Okay? And if I don't have my own shine, I'll get enough jewelry that makes me shine. But the idea here of boast literally means to shine. I'm going to shine about tomorrow. In other words, I am so great that I'm going to make it happen tomorrow and next week and next month and next year because I'm shiny. I'm shiny like that. And you boast. Now, a New Testament passage should be blinking in neon lights in your head. What is it? Yes. What, What? You're close, brother. You're so close. We've visited this text before. But remember, James is New Testament wisdom. And James got this section from Proverbs 27.1, for sure. No doubt. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town, spend a year there and trade and make a profit. We got this. We're going to make some bank. We're going to fill our pockets. We're going to, tomorrow, we got this. 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. See, here's, here's the problem. You do not control tomorrow. I do not control tomorrow. There is one who controls the future, and it's not us. And for us to be under the illusion that we are in control 
is deadly. What is your life, James tells us? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So you like coffee in the morning. I like it especially in the winter. And and it's steamy in the morning, so hot that if you take a sip because you you just can't wait, it will burn your tongue. When it's hot like that, coming off the, the Starbucks little you know, happy container, the dispenser of joy. When it comes out of that thing and you go right for your mouth, you're burning your mouth. Hey, you are described, I am described in this text as the little steam that comes off the top of the grande in the morning in the winter. That's it. That's all we are. We're a mist that appears for a little time and then where to go? Where to go? Where'd you go? Where'd I go? We're gone. Instead, here's what you should do. This should be the heart attitude of myself and of all of us, all of Christians. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live, live, you'll wake up tomorrow, or do this or that, and do this or that. As it is, you boast, there's that word, don't boast about tomorrow. As it is, you boast in your what? Arrogance, pride. All such boasting is what? Not recommended, not helpful, evil. Evil. Are you kidding me? Well, didn't Jesus say that we're evil? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? Mark says the Holy Spirit. And see, Jesus is giving us insight into our heart. He's not condemning you. He's saying to you, look inside and see. See, here, here's, here's the, here is the insidious thing about pride. It's one of those massively blinding sins that cloaks itself inside of you so that you look at yourself and you're like, I'm not a prideful person. But isn't it amazing how you can spot it in someone else so fast and so quickly, as soon as they exalt themselves in your presence, it's ugly to you. Why is that? Why can you spot it in other people and it offends you, but you do it all the time and you're like, I don't do that. See, we know it's inherently wrong by how offended we get when someone else does it and we hear it. You know what I'm talking about? Yet someone else does it and it's ugly to you. You don't like it. You think less of them, yet you do it. But you don't realize you do it because it's cloaked itself inside of you and it's hiding. It's invisible to you. You don't see it. And what James here is saying is not that we should uh, fulfill the text by just simply saying, listen to me, if you make a future statement of any kind, you better say if the Lord wills, because if not, you're being evil. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is your attitude about the future should be such that you understand that you are not God. I am not God. And if he wills, I will wake up in the morning. And if I wake up in the morning, oh my gosh, thank you, Jesus. It's a great day because every day is a gift. Every day is a gift. Everyone, his mercies are made new every morning. If the Lord wills, you'll live or do this or that. Now it's been said that hard words make soft hearts or soft people. That's what we want. We don't want to ignore hard words in the scriptures because we want our hardness of heart to be broken up so that we might come before God and say, oh God, I am a proud person. I need to be humbled. Therefore, if I am humbled, I will be given grace. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
Friends, if you will look at yourself in the mirror and just acknowledge your pride and see it and call it ugly like God calls it, call it evil here like James calls it, you will receive grace. But if you say, not me, you're just asking for the opposition of God. Let's, let's continue. Jesus helps us by thinking about tomorrow in a positive way. Now, you know the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is taking the Old Testament law and laws and, and how the Old Testament was taught, and he's expanding it. He's expounding on it. He's getting to the heart of it. And in a section on anxiety, how many of you have ever worried about tomorrow? Let's, let's see your hand. Okay, thank you. Me too. We all do. This is a common problem. So Jesus says, you who worry about tomorrow, I'm here to help. You have a Father in heaven who cares for you more than the wildflowers and their beauty. God cares for you more than the birds and the beasts of the field. As he feeds them, you're more valuable than the birds and the beasts. Even Solomon, in all of his glory, the wisest, richest, most wealthiest, powerful man in the Old Testament, was not even dressed or glorious as one small flower of the field. And you're way more important than fields of flowers. And Jesus is getting at the heart here of anxiety, and he's saying, you have a father who loves you, and you're so important to him that when you think about tomorrow, this is what you should think. Therefore, because of the flowers, because of the beast, because of the birds, because you have a father in heaven, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I love that. If, if that would land on me with transformative power, I would be a happy man. I would be a joyful man because I can't but help look into next week and be anxious. I can't help it. And I need saved from that sin. Anyone else need saved? Man, please, God. I want to look into the future with faith, trusting that I have a heavenly father that loves me and he knows what I need before I know I need it. This is the wisdom of all the NAAA and double, you know, letter programs. Do they not say one day at a time, one day at a time? You're thinking too far into the future. I'm just thinking about tomorrow. That's too far into the future. Today, as far as it goes with anxiety. Now, Jesus here is not saying don't plan for the future. And if you plan for the future, you're being anxious and evil. He's not saying that. Plan wisely. The Bible has much to say on planning. We did a whole message on planning in Proverbs. What we're talking about here is anxiety. You worrying about tomorrow. You worrying about next week. It crippling you. God doesn't want that for his children. He, has a he is a father. You are his children in Christ. And he wants you to be anxiety free. He wants me to be anxiety free. Back to Proverbs 27, 1 and 2. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Remember, shine radiance about tomorrow. You're not as brilliant as you think you are. You're not as shiny as you think you are. You don't know what a day may bring. Wisdom would say to you in this text, we are not in control of tomorrow. Therefore, I will give my anxiety, my fear, my worry over to the one who is in control of tomorrow. See, if you feel like you're in control, that's actually an illusion that you're holding on to. You're grasping at a non-reality that makes you feel better. 
But Jesus doesn't want you thinking everything's out of control, therefore I'm fearful. No, didn't we just see Jesus saying to us, you have a father who is in control, the ruler of the universe, and because he's yours and you are his, you don't have to worry about tomorrow because he's in control so you don't have to be. Isn't that good news? Man, that's good news for us who are fearful, anxious people. Verse two, I love this. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. Now, this text here is giving us an insight into the heart of people. If your heart is proud, it will come out of your mouth. In what way? Self-exaltation. You see, if you're proud of heart, you will always be talking about how great you are. You will always be telling stories about how awesome you are or how you're killing it. And, and because out of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said. Whatever's in the heart has to come out. There is no choice. It will come out. And therefore, if you're one who is always exalting yourself, maybe you need to ask those who are closest to you, do I do this? And lovingly, friends, if they ask, let it land with love and grace because that means God is doing a work if they even would ask. Proud people don't know they're proud. That's the, that's the most amazing thing about this. So blind to it, they don't understand that they're proud. The stranger here in the text is of no relational connection, okay? That's important because they don't have anything to gain, they have an objective opinion, and they can see you for who you are, and I love that. So when a stranger praises you, we know it's the real thing. Now, I know, I know that you who think deeply might be like, well, yeah, well, what if it's all a show and behind closed doors and, you know, when you don't post on social media and, and as soon as you come out of your door, you're this secret person. Yeah, that's possible. But pretty much, let's be real, who you are comes out. You can't keep it in. There are very few people who are so good at hiding who they really are that only those who are absolutely near them more than 12 hours a day know. Most of the time, we know. And the idea here is, it's okay if someone else says something good about you, but you cannot be the one to say something good about you. Let other people do it. If they do it, that's fine. That's good. In fact, the scriptures would actually point to that. Look at Romans 12, 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Remember, we said that brotherly affection is what would cause us to cover a multitude of sins when we talked about conflict in Proverbs. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, I love this text. Remember, Romans 12 is the turning point of the whole book of Romans. The gospel is explained in 1 through uh, 11 deeply, and 12 begins the response section, verse 1 of 12, in view of God's mercy, in view of the gospel, now live like this. As Christians, we should be ones who are outdoing one another in showing each other honor. Imagine if that was your daily goal. I'm going to battle my brains out to honor everybody I can. In fact, I'm going to outdo everybody else. How? By honoring them better than anyone else can honor anyone. I mean, what would that kind of attitude and more than five people produce in a church? Find one of those people 
and, and you will be attractive as a magnet to metal. Yet what if we could find a whole church full of people who would live this, outdo one another in showing honor? Meaning this, you will be good at looking at other people and doing the opposite of what you normally do. What you normally do is this. You look at someone and you size them up and you see all their flaws and you see right through them. How many of you can look at someone and catch all the good qualities and all the things that God's actively doing in their life and through them? That's not so natural, is it? You know why? Because when you honor someone else, that automatically diminishes you a little bit. And when you're proud, you will not be diminished. Oh, no. Oh, no. Humble people love to exalt others, love to honor other people. Proud people, you will not hear a word of praise come out of their mouth ever. Because in some weird sense, it makes them come low. But see, as Christians, we who have been humbled, we've seen our sin, we see our need for the Savior, we see the humility of Jesus, which we'll see in a minute. We should be the ones to look at people and say, you know what, I see all kind of grace in your life, and I'm going to tell other people about it. You will be attractive as a magnet to metal if you're that type of person. Oh God, would you make us people who want to outdo one another in showing honor How does humility think? Humility thinks like this. So pride is this self-exalting, self-aggrandizement. Humility is the opposite. Humility doesn't necessarily think less of itself, as C.S. Lewis says. It thinks of itself less. You're just not thinking about you. It's like, I don't exist in a sense. You're so taken up by whoever's in front of you. You're so into them, if you will, that you disappear. That's humility. You're not waiting to tell your glory story. You're you're all about whoever is around you. And see, isn't that love? Love is the energy that comes out and blesses others. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so how does humility think? This is what it thinks. Humility thinks this. I want to pursue humility because I'm proud. If you can say that truthfully about yourself, you're on the way. I want to pursue humility because I'm proud. That's a good thing for you to say to yourself. Because pursuing humility is actually what must happen until we die because we actually never arrive. It's a pursuit, just like righteousness. You'll never, ever become righteous. Only the imputed or gifted or credited righteousness of Jesus. But we pursue it. We want to become it actually. We Desperately want it, but we never achieve it. Same with humility. We will battle pride the rest of our lives, and we will pursue humility. So humility at first looks like this. How does humility think? It thinks, I am pursuing humility in my pride. Hey, can, you, can you shake your head to that? Okay, that's what I want. I want to pursue humility in my pride. Now, how else does humility think? Okay. We think about ourselves high thoughts, okay? And, and some of us actually are gifted. Like some of us have some really stellar qualities. Some of us are brilliant. Some of us are very talented. Some of us are beautiful. Some of us are handsome. And some of us have theological knowledge coming out of our ears. 
It's all gift, that's all good, but how should we think about ourselves? Should we exalt and put out, out those things that make us great, or should we think more like Paul talking to the Corinthians? Now, the Corinthians were, a, were boasting about who they were discipled by and what prominent leader they were connected to, which elevated them above others. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. I'm better than you. Okay? So their connection to a prominent, famous person made them better than the other Corinthians. You see the pride here. I'm better than you. Why? Well, I'm connected to Paul. Well, I'm better than you. Why? Because I'm connected to Peter. He preached the first sermon in Pentecost. Yeah, well, Paul planted all the churches all over the, the Roman world. You can just see them going at each other. Why they're better than each other. And Paul says this to them. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Now, Paul's talking specifically about who they were discipled by, but let's ask the question. Whatever skill you have, whatever talent you have, whatever achievements you've achieved, listen, what do you have that you did not receive? That's the question I want to ask. That's the question Paul's asking. If you have anything worthy of putting forward that you think others should praise you for, what do you have that you did not receive? And then the next logical uh, inference is this. And if you received it, why are you boasting like you didn't? Like you achieved it. Now, now for some of us, this is tricky because you're like, yo, I worked hard to get that. And yes, you did. But listen, the resources that enabled you to work hard were even given to you. Like some of us will never, ever, ever get a PhD because we just don't have the gift set. Like I, I can barely dunk a volleyball. You're like, bro, you're like 6'5", your arms can touch the rim. I know. I know. Thanks for reminding me. But see, I don't have those gifts. But you know what? LeBron worked hard, but LeBron can't say, I'm so great. Because God made him massive, and he made him to jump (laughs) super high, and he made him to just be a monster on the court. And so what does LeBron have that he did not receive? And if he received it, why is he boasting as if he doesn't? Now, I hear that LeBron's a very humble person. And I respect that. But don't you just, isn't there something about very arrogant athletes that just makes you go, I'm not buying that jersey. I will not root for that team. They get in the Super Bowl, I'm going to, you know, burn their jersey on Facebook and I'm going to, right? Don't you do that. You automatically get upset when skillful or talented people are arrogant about the skills and talents they have. So why are you doing it? If it bothers you when other people do it, why do you do it? You don't think it bothers other people? The attitude we should have in humility is this. What do I have that I did not receive? So if there's anything good that comes out of you, listen, this this is the attitude you should have. Oh God, thank you for giving me this as a gift. I received it. That's humility. Humility doesn't think of themselves as so great and so high, and so lofty. Rather, we would say, I received it, and I will not boast in it. Now, if someone else wants to boast in you, well, that's Proverbs 27 too. That's awesome. That's fine. You can say thank you. But in your mind, don't say, yeah, that's right. (laughs) No, no. I received this. Therefore, I will not boast in it internally or externally. Okay? All right. Let's move on. John the Baptist, or baptizer. He has been baptizing, and Jesus shows up in his ministry of baptism. And he points um, uh, Andrew and John over to Jesus. And he's like, 
Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And they go and they follow after Jesus. And then Andrew goes and gets his brother Peter. And, and Jesus becomes famous, if you will. And John, his cousin, the, the, the prophet who has appeared after 400 years of silence. A prophet has appeared. He's wearing Elijah's gear. He is the Elijah who was to come, said Jesus. And all of a sudden, his numbers are diminishing. The crowds are leaving him. And where are they going? They're going to Jesus. And Jesus is taking John's people. And you would expect John to be a little ticked. His disciples are a little concerned. And so they say, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, the Jordan River, where they were baptizing, to whom you bore witness, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. We need to have John the baptizer or Baptist attitude. This is humility. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Whatever is going on in your life that is good or praiseworthy or excellent, listen, you have received it. And John's attitude is beautiful here. He's not angry. He's not upset at Jesus. He's not even feeling down about this. He's saying, look, if I have any following, if I have any crowd, if I have any respect, I received it. That should be your attitude. That should be your attitude. And then in verse 30, he says this, he must increase and I must decrease. I love it. Listen, pride will not say that. She must increase, I must decrease. Outdo one another in showing honor. He must increase, I must decrease. Outdo one another in showing honor. No, prideful people cannot say that. Because we want to increase and we want others to decrease, right? Because we feel like they win if I decrease and they increase. But you know what? Christianity doesn't work that way. The humble will be exalted and the proud will be brought low. And so listen, if you want to go up in honor, if you want to go up in exaltation, if you want to go up in Christianity, you need to go down and say, I must decrease. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due time, he will lift you up, Peter says. In due time. Your mission, my mission, is a humility mission. I must decrease. All others must increase. Now, that's hard. That takes the Spirit of God working mightily in you to even have that thought. Because by sinful nature and by letting sin rule and reign in our lives, we want others to decrease and we want to increase. How did he get that promotion and not me? I can't believe her numbers are up and mine are down. And see, this is how the world works. It's a satanic system that we've bought into and we're living in it. It's a stream and we're floating down the river. But see, the scriptures, the wisdom of God is saying, no, 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 go upstream. Paddle against the current. And you be intentionally decreasing. Not false humility. Not false humility. So if you're a fantastic artist, we're not saying when someone says to you, man, that is sweet. You're like, no, nah, it's not that good. It's actually pretty terrible. That, that's ridiculous and that's false humility. That's pride in disguise. No, if you're a fantastic artist and someone says, man, that's great, I love that, you can just simply say thank you. 
You don't even have to like throw the sign of the cross, get out your holy water, start splashing them back up. You know, you're, you don't have to do that. You could just say, thank you. And in your mind say, I've received this. I've received this gift. Yeah, I worked at it, but I received it in the first place. And God's even given me the energy and the life to get better at it. Right? What is tomorrow? If God wills, we'll live or do this or that. So you, you, you may be killing it in the stock market, but not if you're dead tomorrow. Your financial wisdom might be so stellar that you could just stomp on investments and and like thousands by the day are just flowing into your bank account. And you know what Jesus said? What happens if your soul is required to you tonight? Doesn't matter. And so our attitude should be one of humility that we are creatures and that there is a sovereign in control of the universe. And if God wills, I'll live tomorrow and I'll increase in my bank account. Okay, Let's keep going. Proverbs 6, 16 to 17a. There are six things that the Lord hates. Uh Uh-oh. If the Bible tells us God hates something, listen up. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes. Stop. That's all we need to know. Now, the word haughty there literally means high, lifted up, above, What does this mean? This means when you look down on anyone else, you are being haughty. Haughty eyes. I look from up here down at you in your smallness. Haughty eyes. God hates it. It's an abomination to him. It's time to call it what it is. Look in the mirror and say, God hates this in me. God help me to hate it too. Can you be that person? Because listen, if you're up in the hot air balloon looking down at everyone else with haughty eyes, you must receive that God is not okay with that. He's not okay with that. And I understand that almost all the world is doing it. I understand it's how the world works. I understand it's how you get ratings and hits on the internet and Instagram likes and and followers on Twitter. I get that. But listen, not the people of God. No, we need to be ones who do not rise above everyone else and look down on them with haughty or lifted up eyes. How are you not going to do that? Well, you have to understand that you are a sinner in need of a savior. Like at the foot of the cross, everything's level. There are no better. We're all in desperate need of a savior at the foot of the cross. And so though there might be different socio and economic places in society. There might be different talent levels in sports. There might be all these differences that the world says, you're better than me or I'm better than you. Listen, we are all sinners in need of a savior and we're all gonna stand before God on judgment day. And so why not break out Revelation 20, 11 through 15? All right, let's do it. I saw a great white throne and, on, and from him who sat on it, the earth and sky fled from his presence. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened, and the dead were judged according to what was written in the books. You see, up at that moment in coming history, we have Steve Jobs, Abraham Lincoln, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Mr. T, and you and me. And everybody's equal. 
on judgment day. No one's buying their way in. No one can claim their fame in that moment. From him who sat on the throne, earth and sky fled from his presence. Who's going to stand on that day? Who's going to have high, haughty, lifted up eyes on that day? No one. No one. And that's how you can be humble. You can say to yourself, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And, and, and if you counted iniquities, who could stand? That's what you say to yourself. If my transgressions were added in a book and then read to me on judgment day, one by one by one, throughout my accumulative life, I am done. I am undone. Right? That's how you become humble. You don't take your strengths and compare them to everyone else's weaknesses. If you're that person, you will inevitably be super arrogant. If you're awesome at all this stuff, and then you compare your awesomeness to everyone else's weakness, you're going to win every time. And you're going to grow in your haughtiness, and your eyes are going to continue to lift up. It means lifted up, exalted, above. Now, let's go to one more verse. Proverbs 18, 12. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. This is real clear warnings here, friends, and they're love warnings. It's as if the road has sunken in because there's mines, and the road used to be at 55 miles an hour, but all of a sudden, there's warning signs a mile out, road closed. And then as you get closer, there's blinking signs, road closed. And then as you're about 20 feet away, there's all these blinking signs, and you just ignore all the signs, and you, you plummet into the mine, and you die. And see, the Proverbs here over and over again, we don't have time to pull them all out. I'm just grabbing a few. Before destruction, a man's heart, woman's heart is haughty. If your eyes are lifted up, if your heart is lifted up, now, now this goes a, a step deeper. A heart in the Old Testament, especially in Proverbs, is your innermost you. It's the core of your being. It's where the motives come from. It's where the intellect comes from. It's where the emotions come from. It's the seat of the will. It's the essence of you. And if in your heart you are lifted up high, destruction is coming. Destruction is coming. This is a helpful warning, friends. The writer of Proverbs here is trying to, to give you the warning like, slow down, stop, the road is closed. There's a massive chasm that you're, you're, you're hurling yourself towards. But, this is beautiful, a change. But humility comes before honor. So, so if we could become people who are pursuing humility, we can actually look out for honor. And listen, if we would be the Romans 12.10 people, we would be ones who are dishing out honor to such a degree that it would be contagious. Who among you do you know that all the time consistently is just honoring everybody in their path? What would that do to you? So, so this just landed on me. What if you, throughout your waking hours, were always looking for the good and the beautiful and the honorable in everyone you meet? How could you be dwelling on ugly and depressive and destructive and anxious? No, you'd always be looking for something to honor. And you know this from your own experience that when someone honors or praises something in you, doesn't that make you want to do it again? But see, in our anger... This is last week's message. 
in our anger, we feel like if we can just highlight and pound whatever bothers us with might, force, intention, and volume, it'll stop. What if you tried to softly, lovingly encourage the opposite continually? That might actually have more power than you forcing all your energy towards what you don't want to see. So, so what do you mean? Let's say you encounter a rude person constantly. Man, you are so rude. I just want to punch you in the face. What if you catch them for once not being rude? Oh my gosh. And you honor that. And, and the way to honor that is not to say, oh wow, you weren't rude. For once in your life. No, that's not the way to do it. So, so this might be a way to do it. Let, let's say somebody, just dumb example, you know, they don't, they're inconsiderate of everybody else. Let's say they do something considerate and you catch them and you praise what they just did to them. Like, hey man, I saw what you did there. That was cool. I really appreciate that. Walk away. Make their head go back. Like, what was that? And, and you don't think that's going to impact to such a degree that they're going to try to practice that again? This is the power of honoring, the power of humility. But if you want to be up above and slam all the stuff you don't like continually, thinking that's how we get people to change, you're actually the one that's high and lifted up, and you're imagining that in my pride and with my force, I can create real and lasting change. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but, hum- but humility comes before honor. Um, Ray Orland Jr. is one of my favorite authors, theologians, and pastors. He wrote a, a whole commentary on Proverbs. I highly recommend this. Sadly, it's not in the bookstore. But he said in this uh, section on pride this. I think it's so good. Ready? We do not come to Christ because we are humble. We come to Christ because we are proud. And he receives us and loves us and helps us in our pride. We don't come to Christ because we're humble people. We come to Christ because we're proud people and we need help in our pride. And Jesus throws his arms out and says, yes, I receive you. I receive you because you recognize you're proud and you want to do something about it. And here I am. I really want to do something about it too. Come to me. Come to me. I receive you. He doesn't stiff arm you or close the door and you hear the bolt locking and he says, get humble, then come and knock. No, he says, come to me in your arrogance, in your pride, in your haughtiness. I'll receive you and I will change and transform you. That's, that's the beauty of the gospel. It's the beauty of Jesus. Now listen, Jesus has gone before us. We only have a few minutes left, so I'm going to fly through this. No commentary. I'm basically going to read it. Paul gives us the humility of Christ in Philippians chapter 2. How could we talk about pride and humility without going to Philippians chapter 2? It would be like a sin. So have this mind among yourselves, mindset, mind, which is yours, it's ours already, in Christ. So if we're in Christ, we have this mind. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You could translate that hold on to. But he emptied himself humility brought low by taking the form of a servant. Proud people want to be served. Proud people don't want to serve. Proud people definitely don't want to be called servant. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. I want to be served. 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself. How? By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was so humble that he submitted to his Father's will, and he submitted to the most gruesome and shameful way of death that only the worst of criminals got. You know, Roman citizens weren't even able to be crucified on a cross because it was so shameful and so uh, degrading. But yet Jesus not only obeys his Father, every motive, every thought, every deed, always perfect, always, all the time, but then he submitted himself even to death on a cross. Therefore, now watch this. This is that whole piece where Peter says, if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. Okay? You want honor? Humility. Now watch what happened to Jesus. So that, verse 10, I'm sorry, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. You want a, you want a big name? You want a famous name? Jesus has the highest name. How do you get it? Humbling himself. Humbling himself. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Even the underworld's going to bow the knee. All of them. Demonic spirits included. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, we just read about that. Actually, you, you heard it. This is, this is Revelation 20, 11 through 15. On judgment day, every knee will bow, every one of them. Every tongue at that time will see Jesus in his glory and will confess, you are Lord. There will be a confession. He will be exalted. Either now by you and I bending the knee and saying, yes, you are Lord. You are the king. You are the king and Lord over me. I submit, I bow the knee. Or on judgment day, you'll bow the knee, but it'll be forced and it'll be too late. And, and I want to encourage you, humble yourself now, please. Humble yourself now. Bow the knee now. Why wait till judgment day in your pride where you're forced to bow the knee? He is offering you right now in this moment, bow the knee to Jesus. He will forgive you. He will receive you in your pride and he will cleanse you of all the sins of pride and he will begin to make you a humble person. It's so beautiful. And then in Isaiah 57, 15, we read this. For thus says the Lord, the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, God, I dwell in the high and holy place. That's pretty lifted up. Now listen to this though. And also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. That's beautiful. Also with him or her who is of a contrite, that means sorrowful over sin, contrite, humble, repentance, and a lowly spirit to receive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So God is saying, you don't understand how high and lifted up I am, but just to give you a glimpse, get out a telescope, look as far as the most powerful one can go, and, and space will keep going in, in the light years. That's high and lifted up. I'm controlling all that. But guess what? Him who is lowly, her who is lowly and contrite of heart, I'm also right down there with them. Intimately. So intimately that I will dwell within you. He takes up residence in us such that Paul could say that we are the temple of God. We, human beings, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God. It's unbelievable. 
He dwells with us to such a degree that he's not like, I'm coming to your city. I mean, that would be amazing. I'm coming to your house. Really, God? You're coming to my house? No, he says, I'm going to come and dwell inside of your body. That's how close I'll be. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. And we're going to stop there. Friends, we need to become people who are at least on the path that's pursuing humility. None of us can, tonight can say, I've achieved humility. None of us. But what we can say is, I want to get on the path that is pursuing humility. I want to be brought low in my pride so that God might honor and begin to exalt me. I'm going to stop exalting myself with my own mouth. And I'm going to let others pray me, praise me. In fact, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to begin to outdo one another in showing honor. How are we going to do that? We have to realize that Jesus has done it for us. He, he came from the most high. That, that's the name of God, the most high. And he became the most low. Not only born to a, a, a poor teenage daughter or a, a woman who wasn't even married. But then he lived his whole life homeless and teaching and being disrespected and, and plotted against to be killed over and over and over again. And then the most shameful death that, that, that he could die, he died. Okay, we're going to celebrate that reality right now by taking communion. Um,